Hello, and welcome to another episode of Houston, We Have a Podcast. Uh, on this episode, we are doing a recap of 2018 and the movies we love or just want to talk about. Uh, on this episode, we are going to be talking about some of our, our favorite recommendations for the year. Uh, so hopefully you leave this episode with a few things on your to-do list. Uh, we also have a bunch of random questions about the best or mostest something of 2018 that we don't yet know. Uh, and joining us as our guests for the show, we have Rebecca and Tyler. So thanks for joining us once again. Hey, woo woo! Yeah, for thanks us. for having us. Woo woo! Uh, you guys were previously here for our popular movie movie, uh, popular <laughs> movie episode yeah. uh, with like Deadpool and Avengers and Han Solo. Yeah. Uh, now you guys get to talk about some of the other movies that you love from this year. So looking forward to that. Yeah, the other end of the coin. This will be yeah. fun. Uh, so before we get into like kind of our main segments, the one question I wanted to pose, because I think we're going to get to more of the unconventional questions later. So I wanted to ask the conventional one of just what was your favorite movie of the year of this past 12, 11 months? You first. No, you. I'm still thinking. (laughs) Um, um, so because I don't know if this is the right audience to talk about A Star is Born. Um, The movie that I really liked from this year um, was Colette. And I don't know if you guys have seen it, but I have four words for you. They are Kira Knightley, period piece. And this is my love language. So I went into this movie knowing that I would love it. Um, aren't, sorry, aren't, aren't like 90% of Kira Knightley's movies period pieces? <laughs> yes, they are. Okay. And they're stunning. Um, have you by chance seen Pride and Prejudice and Zombies? I have. I have seen that one as well. What do you think? Uh, not as good as the book, <laughs> which I've also read. Um, you know, it's a great time. I thought it was hilarious. Um, I don't take myself too seriously though. So I know a lot of Austin fans that weren't as into it. Um, but yeah, sorry, continue. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, uh, Colette. Um, You're going to talk about Colette a little bit later though, right? Do you not want me to talk about Colette No, this now? is just, what are you, what oh. was your favorite of the year? Oh my God. Okay. Uh, you know what? My favorite of the year, I think was A Star is Born then because it just made me feel so deeply. Um, I thought like, I thought Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper were brilliant. They had such great chemistry. The music was wonderful. Um, it's definitely the best version of that film. I've seen a few of the other ones. Well, two of the other ones, but um, yeah. Other ones? Uh, so this is the fourth version of A Star is Born. There's what? One, yeah, from the early 70s. With oh, okay. Barbara Streisand. Sorry. And, yeah, Chris Christopherson, and then, um, yeah, so. This is the first one that they were musicians, though, right? The other ones were actors? Um, I think Chris Christopherson was a musician in the 1970s one with Barbara Streisand. But I know the Judy Garland one, they were actors. Um, I didn't know. But they kind of straddle that line. And in the 40s, right? Like yeah, that, that line was popular. Wait, Chris Christopherson? He's the old in guy Blade? in Blade, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I, I know nothing about the, this movie or these movies. Yeah. I didn't even know there were more. Yeah. And all I knew was that Dave Chappelle was in it. <laughs> and really? I was, yeah, my question for you was going to be, what does he do and is he good? <laughs> um, yes, he is good. He's yeah, a very minor yeah. side character that does his job. He's, like he, he's just kind of there. Yeah, he's okay. there for a couple scenes. He gets the job done. Yeah. Okay, I mean, the last time I saw him in a movie was Blue Streak. <laughs> and that, like, is not 
like this at all. I, I don't even know what that is. So, it's uh... it's Martin Lawrence pretending to be a cop to find a diamond that he stole. Oh yes, stashed in a police station. All right, okay, okay. It's very dumb. <laughs> it has some great moments that are very immature, but. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, I think that is probably quite different than. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like a. Oh, I do remember that movie. It's like a good blending of like buddy cop just meets kind of like just <laughs> I, funny. I remember the yeah. diamond is like taped in one of the exhaust. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like yeah. before he goes to jail, he stashes it in a, a like a building that's being yeah. built. Why are we talking about Blue Streak so much? Sorry. <laughs> I think we <laughs> started Yeah. Uh, no, you know what? That's all I have to say about it. It's fantastic and you should see it and the music is great. Uh, what about you guys? After you. All right. Um... Without talking about one of the films I'll be talking about later, uh, I'll spoil a little bit. One film that I, I'm a sucker for, like, a cinematic experience for me is something that makes me feel something very heavily. Um, and the movie that made me do that was probably Eighth Grade. Um, both kind of the comedy aspect, but also the, you know, more emotional aspect. Uh, but that's coming up. Um, so that was your favorite movie of the year as well. That was that was also my favorite movie. So it's one of my picks, one of my faves. Um, oh, I don't want to do this again, but I also Isle of Dogs was another cinematic experience that that, um, that I just thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah, there's um, a lot of that soundtrack that I'm still listening to at work all the time because oh. it's just great songs. Yes, <laughs> solid, yeah. And I like how they they span a lot. Like you you can tell he's he's plucked a lot of things in the soundtrack that are like homages to Kurosawa um, and then also some like kind of 1920s sort of music as well so it's kind of like you know paying a lot of homage to the golden age of Japanese cinema uh, which was really cool uh, as well as just kind of the different stylistic beats that the movie takes like uh, uses a lot of different forms of animation um, going from like the live action animation to the more kind of like manga or anime style um, that you would get from like the news report segments of it. Um, yeah. I found that really, you know, also I, was about dogs. I did yeah. really like that they had the translator who kept doing the uh, translation of the news because it, it felt like it wasn't whitewashing Japanese society and that you'd have a Japanese person speaking English. It was like, here's a translation and it kind of found the blend of both worlds of like, you know that your main audience is going to be English speaking. Right. Uh, that was Francis McDormand's character? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And in, in just like a lovable kind of folksy twee way, like it's this kind of like shoestring sort of outfit where they're trying to like do the translations. And, <laughs> I don't know. It, it fit well into the movie. Yeah. 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 It was also interesting because we went after we saw Isle of Dogs, we went back and watched the fantastic Mr. Fox and it was yes. interesting to see like how far that animation style has come because I don't like before I saw Isle of Dogs I didn't consider Fantastic Mr. Fox to be like dated looking in any way but the animation is so much smoother in Isle of Dogs. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know if I'd put them as far ahead as the Leica Studios is yet, uh, oh. who did Kubo and the Two Strings. And, yeah, yeah, uh, you know you're right ones. though. Uh, they're for me still like number one in stop motion animation. Yeah. Nor do I think was Wes Anderson aiming for something that was that was really cutting edge. I think he was, mm -hmm. you know, wanting to lean into like the dated look of some of this like jerky sort of 
plasticine animation <laughs> looking kind of stuff. Yeah, it adds to a certain charm of it, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Paula, what was your favorite movie of the year? Uh, I'm going to be lame and mention something that we've already uh, shouted out on uh, our Instagram. Uh, by the way, it's at Houston. We have a podcast. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, Annihilation. Um, yes. It uh, didn't do that well. Apparently, I've just learned from <laughs> everyone here because uh, we were talking about it before we started recording. But uh, it was just, it definitely, it probably, no, yeah, it was my favorite. It was actually my favorite movie of the year because it was just like so, I can't, I can't even describe. It was so different and weird and like, like scary, but at the same time, like, it's like, uh, help me. Yeah, it, I know yeah, everyone's also, seen it. So no. this is also my favorite movie of the year, so I'll chime in as well. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned the cinematic experience, and that's how I would describe Annihilation as well. Like, just the, the feeling you get while being there. You forget you're in a room of people watching yeah. a movie at a theater. Yeah. And kind of the experience takes over, and there's a little bit of horror. There's a little bit of, like, serenity. There's a lot of stuff going on, but it's just, like... It's, it's blended well together. It's filmmaking craftsmanship, I yeah. think, on display. Uh, I fucking love that movie. <laughs> and it's no, just very yeah. unfortunate that we probably won't see another one. Yeah. That's no, it, one it of the made, tops for me. It made $20 million off a $30 million budget. So right. there's two other books in the trilogy. I hope we get to see them, but we probably won't. Yeah. I, I, I keep going back to... Oh man, yeah, no, I'm thinking about how awesome that movie is. And, and just the range of things it makes you feel like they have wide cine- like cinematic shots of this like unreal sort of landscape. Yeah. Uh, cut with like some, like the whole kind of like body double thing at the end that just yeah. makes your skin kind of crawl. Like, oh, yeah. I was just completely tripped out at the end. Like I oh. was so, it was just so, so weird. Like I don't even know how to describe it. Like if you try to think about the movie... Like, you just kind of get lost in what you remember about it. So that's why it's so hard for me to explain. Well, and I think one of the really great things about it is, for me, like, it just has stayed with me. Like, I just found myself thinking about it, like, days later and, like, how interesting it was. And, like, I thought it was really, you know, found the skull bear to be (laughs) fucking terrifying. But I still love the movie. And, like, normally that's kind of a a turnoff for me. But I was so... One other thing that I thought it did really well was just having really good, strong female characters that weren't forced, that were still female in kind of nature. Right. Uh, There was one scene where one of them got attacked while they were in the water by a crocodile, and they all get brought over. And it's like all the women just immediately started to help her. Yeah. And it seemed like a, if it was a group of men, that probably wouldn't have done it like that. And it seemed like, okay, they're still being feminine, but all these characters are very strong. They're very good at what they do. They have their rules, but it's not in your face in the way that Ghostbusters was. Yes. Of like, it was forcing it. It was just, here's just good characters. Exactly. So you're saying it was a good movie. It was a good movie. <laughs> yeah, that happened to star a fantastic cast of women, right? Like, all these characters were scientists who were also women, yeah. right? It wasn't like, look at this lady movie we made. Yeah. All these ladies out there, right? Like, yeah, there needs to be more of that. But it's unfortunate when like a movie like that comes out and it's so good and it does everything so well and it doesn't make its budget back and it's like okay they're not gonna make movies like that anymore. Yeah. So. Yeah. One one single tear going out for Blade Runner twenty forty eight. Ah. 
It's okay, we'll, we'll keep shouting them out on our podcast, yeah. and uh, hopefully all 20, <laughs> all 20 of our listeners go out and buy 50 copies each. There we go. So, on, on that topic, uh, we got uh, Men in Black coming out next year, which is going to be like a women in black movie oh. with Rebecca Ferguson and Tessa Thompson. Yes! Valkyrie. Uh, is it going to be more oh, nice. Annihilation, or is it going to be more Ghostbusters? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so what else did you guys like this year? <laughs> uh, yeah, let's let's transition that into our next segment. So uh, our next segment is really, what are some movies you want to talk about this year that maybe every other podcast out there isn't talking <laughs> about, but you think is a movie that really uh, connected with you in a certain way and you want to talk about, yeah, you think you have some opinions about and you want to talk to us about. Uh, each of you guys have uh, brought a couple movies, two or three movies with us. Uh, so we will just kind of go around the table here and talk about movies that we want to talk about this year. Uh, so Rebecca, how about you start us off? Yeah, uh, so I started talking about Colette already a little bit, so I'm just going to keep going. Um, so this movie is based on the life of French uh, of a French novelist of the same name from the early 20th century. Um, it was directed by Wash uh, Westmoreland, um, who directed and co-wrote Still Alice um, with his late husband. Um, and the production team behind Colette also worked on Carol, um, which had Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara that came out last year, got some Oscar buzz. Um, like I said, it stars Keira Knightley, um, across from Dominic West. Um, Is Dominic West... Um... McNulty. Yeah, <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't even. I don't watch The Wire, but I for some reason I know who he is in The Wire. But I don't I, watch The Wire either, but I also. <laughs> <know>. <laughs> One thing I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed was seeing Dominic West in a fat suit. I think that was great. <laughs> what? Oh yeah. 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 Did he actually wear a fat suit, or did he just get fat? <laughs> I he probably wore the fat suit because he's a pretty skinny dude. Yeah, I feel and like it, it was the fat suit. And it wasn't the whole movie. It was just kind of like you know near the end. Yeah, because it, you know, it takes place over sort of several years. Um, uh, so anyway, so this movie uh, is basically about um, Colette is this, you know, French country girl. She marries this very successful uh, Parisian publisher and then ends up ghostwriting for him. Um, and then writes this movie that's based, or writes a novel that's based on sort of her life in the countryside, and it becomes the toast of Paris. Uh, and then it leads to this sort of fight between Colette and uh, her husband Willie um, about sort of ownership and identity and self-expression, and she sort of breaks away from him. Um, and it's very much like a Me Too kind of movie like it is definitely of this time so <laughs> it's about women like you know claiming their voices and being their own people um you know it's a it's a beautiful film like it takes place in paris um i read that it was mostly filmed in budapest which is a beautiful city um the costumes are beautiful the acting is great um yeah it's just a great period piece all around i really liked it so a question i have for you is I, I feel like I'm open to a lot of movie types. One movie type that I hate and I cannot watch is period pieces. Okay. You said it makes a good period piece. Okay. What makes a good period piece? 
Um, so for me, uh, part of it is sort of the richness of the visuals. I'm a very visual type person. So the costumes, the sets, I wanted to evoke another time. Um, this does that well. Um, the listeners at home can't see my haircut, but it's kind of uh, Colette inspired. Um, so that's part of it for me, but there's also uh, definitely a romantic aspect or a romance aspect to period pieces that definitely draws me in. Maybe if you tell me what you don't like about them, I can answer your question yeah, when a little you better. Say, when you say period pieces, like what about- Victorian. Oh, Specifically okay. Victorian. I was gonna okay. say. Uh, I don't know, like for whatever reason, like I'm open to a lot of story pieces and like romances, but right. for whatever reason, period pieces just have never really struck me. Yeah. Um, I don't know, maybe like one or two here and there. What about Sherlock Holmes? Sherlock Holmes is fine <laughs> because there's an action movie and like I have a bias towards action movies. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but it's like the tradition or the traditional uh, period piece where it's very much like uh, sort visual of based and like here's what the culture is like and here's a, a romance or a drama storyline. Right. I just I haven't been able to crack that wall. More uh, of like the drawing room drama, kind of like the Jane yeah. Austen type stuff. Like, is that kind of what you're? less yeah. drawn to uh i mean like there's movies where i watch them and i'm like this is a great visual this is a great storyline this yeah. is a great story i'm just bored <laughs> um, yeah. and it's like i think that's a personal preference like i think there are some that i can get through that but it's like i i guess i'm more curious as like I, I can assume period pieces are to you what an action movie might be like to me so i agree yeah what are those elements for you that make colette specifically uh fit that genre and make you really excited for it. Yeah. Um, so part of it is like the development of the character over the course of the movie. She's this country girl, you know, she starts out with these long braids and her clothes are all like, you know, unfashionable in Paris in the environment that she's in. And over the course of the film, she sort of finds herself. She starts making friends outside of her marriage. She updates her wardrobe and she starts really expressing herself and, and finding ways to do that and making space for who she's figuring out that she is. And so for me, like as a woman, I find that to be very interesting because I went through sort of a similar process growing up, kind of like, you know, making space between me and my family to figure out who I am and what I want to look like and be and do and... Um, yeah, and then I feel like that's sort of a similar experience, like Colette making space between her and her husband and me making space between me and my family. Like, mm. it's to have that more individual, like, individuality, I guess. It's, like, oddly relatable, even though it's from a completely different time. Right, from 100 years ago, but <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's still quite similar. Uh, it's almost, like, almost to the extent where it's, like, a fantasy, because it's yeah. just so different. Exactly, and, like, there's something about that. Like, I love sort of early 20th century Paris. Like, it's so romantic, <laughs> right? Um, you know, especially, like, the 1920s, which is a little later this than this movie, but with Hemingway and Fitzgerald and Picasso and, and all those types. How did you feel about um, Midnight in Paris? Um, so, I hate Woody Allen. <laughs> <laughs> but I found it to... So, I found it to be, like, unbearably neurotic, but... Um, I did love the visuals. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. No more talk about Woody Allen. <laughs> <laughs> I love Woody Allen, by the way. No, that, and you're allowed. <laughs> wasn't oh, he in yeah. Ants? Was he? He was the... Was that him? No, that wasn't him. No, in Ants. 
Yeah, no, you're, you're right. gonna have to look this you're up. Right. To prove this. It was, oh, yeah, really? it was him, right? Yep. Yeah, the main guy. He's he could, the way he talks. You can't mistake him for anyone else. Anyways, um, but I, I think I do understand you a little bit. I think the way that you're talking about period pieces is how I feel about coming of age movies. Yeah. Uh, I was just like, you connect with it, or you don't. Yeah, for uh, sure. So yeah. And I think like I find a lot of Marvel movies to be boring in the way that you find period pieces to be boring. I'm <laughs> to like, be fair, I, I also find care. Marvel movies to be boring. <laughs> yeah. Let the record show. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, well, uh, okay. Uh, well, I hate both of you. <laughs> <laughs> Coming uh, of age movie. What a segue. <laughs> Tyler, take it away. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So I, I spoiled this a little bit before, um, but one of my. One of my picks that you should go and rewatch in 2018 uh, was Eighth Grade. So I don't know if this is maybe more of a recent obsession or something that I've kind of fallen into lately. Um, is, yeah, coming-of-age movies, especially the kinds that have been coming out recently. Um, so I was really taken in with Florida Project, which some people might not consider, you know, your standard coming-of-age. What with the kid being like, four years old <laughs> it's six. more or six years old it's yeah. also not really about the kid it also isn't yeah it's it's kind of about the dynamic the family and kind of the situation they're in um there's also also ladybird was another big kind of pick for me <laughs> in, in 2017 but i still need to watch that um getting Netflix. into i know <laughs> sorry <laughs> getting into 2018 um eighth grade was definitely it for me um, there was a lot of things to love about this movie. Um, I really like the way that they approach kind of youth and young people. Um, whereas coming of age movies in the past, if I dr like draw my mind back to like, uh, John Hughes movies or like dazed and confused, there's always kind of a cheese to them. And it feels like it's kind of like an adult pastiche on top of, what the lives of kids are really like. Um, whereas there's a kind of honesty in eighth grade. And a lot of the humor actually came from the adult characters trying to kind of like relate to this world and try and like insert themselves in it. Um, like the, the, the one scene where they're watching like a sex ed video and then the woman just pops up on screen and says, it's going to be lit. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. There we go. Yeah. So, so there were, there were moments like that that were generally super funny. Um, but also moments that really captured what it was like being a person in the eighth grade and kind of finding yourself and expressing yourself. Um, when kind of transitioning into high school in the age of media and, you know, instant technology. Um, so it hit a lot of beats really, really, really good with me. <laughs> so one question I have for that is, and as I just mentioned, like coming of age movies, I love these types of movies. Uh, for whatever reason, I didn't get a chance to go out and see eighth grade this year just because of timing and whatnot. Um, is it just a coming of age movie that does it really well or does it do anything particularly different that I haven't seen in other coming of age movies? That's a good question. Um, when I think about classic coming of age movies, like kids in their early teens, it's usually kind of like a group dynamic sort of thing, like stand by me where each kid sort of is representing like, you know, some, some trope or some <laughs> caricature. Um, 
and it's more about like the the story of what they're doing rather than them as a person um eighth grade is is very much about um the character that elsie fisher plays (laughs) i'm so bad with like uh actor and actress names that i've just written a list of all of them uh fun fact elsie fisher is the voice of the youngest kid on despicable me the one with the uh it's so fluffy oh it's so fluffy yeah Yeah. i want to die that's her (laughs) wait so that's it's her in real life it's her in in the movie yeah yeah okay and is it just like so it's just following her through eighth grade yeah just, kind of like, yeah, like, what is the movie about? Yeah, I that's because right. <laughs> no, I, I touched all the things I liked about it, but I didn't really give the plot synopsis. Sorry. Um, yeah, For someone who hasn't seen any of these movies that anyone is talking about today, <laughs> so Elsie Fisher plays a character who um, is in eighth grade, kind of in the final weeks of it, and is trying to find her voice as she goes into high school. Um, in reality, she's like a very withdrawn sort of person. Uh, very shy with not many friends, uh, but kind of online and on her YouTube account, she's kind of trying to, I don't know, exude this character of confidence and like give advice. And Is she like and, a vlogger? Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Have that kind of like very stereotypical, <laughs> like, you know, cheery sort of vlog outlook on Pretty much what all YouTube. of us are trying to do on social media. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like on our Houston, we have a podcast Instagram where we pretend to be successful, <laughs> pretend to have followers. I'm not even pretending. <laughs> but yeah, okay, that okay, that makes sense, and I I have a little more clarity. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a little bit a little bit more about the movie. Um, as coming going back to like why. Why this over another coming-of-age movie? Why do I need to watch this one in particular? Um, I talked about, yeah, just how the humor plays. Like, kind of a... More of a, a deadpan sort of tone to it, which I really appreciated. Um, also, I haven't seen a lot of movies kind of tackle um, relationship with technology in a way that's not completely catastrophic like oh any technology is going to ruin you as a person doesn't you're feel gonna... like a 50 year old writing about technology yeah <laughs> or or it gets very preachy when people are like oh all social media is bad and you should feel bad for using it um instead you know the director bo burnham found his voice using youtube um so he knows kind of like you know the role that it plays in the lives of young people and the role that it plays in modern society and you know you can marry the idea of like having a fulfilled life while also being active in social media i feel Um, like it also um really captured like the anxiety that social media can create with like the scroll like scrolling in bed in the dark (laughs) like and how it just you know sort of gives you that fomo or whatever and um it definitely captured that very specifically that was the question I was going to ask. Is I was re- watching an interesting YouTube video the other day about uh, movie progression, about how they show texting on a screen and then how they show the internet on screen. And like all, I think all of us know what social media means to our lives. And I think movies kind of feel like they're behind that understanding. But is there a really good movie out there that has really captured what social media is as part of our life? Like, is this the best one? Is there any other really good examples? Ingrid Goes West. Ah. I haven't seen that. It's the best really one that good. comes to mind. 
Yeah. That's captures... a very specific element of social media, like yeah. uh, the negative well, yeah. side. But, I, like, but I mean, I like, it does it well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it for that one specifically, it blows up, like, it kind of just shoves in your face the what social media could be, or, like, to the extent that it could be, which does happen sometimes, and that's why I like that movie, Random, just, which I've mentioned before on previous episodes if you've been listening <laughs> but yeah i don't i mean i would probably check out eighth grade and compare the two i don't know yeah any last comments on eighth grade um 99 on rotten tomatoes can't go wrong with that. <laughs> there we go let's end strong awesome <laughs> and now for something completely different <laughs> yes Paulo, what do you uh, recommend us i know i feel very like isolated over here in this episode because like like i mentioned before i haven't seen literally anything that you guys are going have spoken about or will talk about today i have not seen any of it there a lot of them are usually not the type of movies that i watch but i mean like hey i'm interested um but uh i guess what i'll talk about first is um which one okay hostiles so it's um it's about uh like an army captain it's back in like the cowboys and indians days where uh an army captain has to like he has to take a captured indian chief from like the the jail on their base to like his home because like the conflict is over um and he has to transport this guy say him and his family safely even though they've been like mortal enemies for like however long um <clears throat> and uh it's starring christian bale as the army captain of course and um the the indian chief is uh the guy who plays like every indian <laughs> in every movie um i don't remember his name he was on uh damn i just know that ben foster is one of his side characters ben foster is in it as well i'll i'll mention him later Wait, hold on. I have to find his, the Indian guy's name. I hope he's not the same guy that we mentioned in our uh, Asylum uh, Movies episode. No, 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 no. Wes, okay, his name is Wes Studi, but I don't think anyone would... Re- like, have you guys seen Deep Blue Sea? <laughs> I think I have. Have you? It's... Okay, sorry. Really quick. Deep Blue Sea, like a cruise ship, and then there's like a sea monster, and it eats everyone. Mm-hmm. And then these people <laughs> are trying to like uh, rob the cruise ship, but then they stumble on all these dead bodies. I only know it because Samuel yep. Jackson gets eaten. What? That's not no <laughs> different Deep one. Blue Deep blue. No shit. No, sorry. Yeah, that's what I'm talking Deep, about yeah, with fuck. the shark. Yeah. I'm yeah. all over the place right now. Shit. Okay, forget it. It doesn't matter who he is. Oh, <laughs> but he's in Last of the Mohicans. Yes, he is. There we go. Another movie where he's an Indian, probably. But anyways, yeah, uh, one would think. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's uh, I I like those types of movies. For, first of all, that period piece. Uh, like cowboys and Indians type thing, like Tombstone, uh, not so much Indians, but like just the whole like six shooter, like badass gunslinger of the West type thing. I like, but this one was like definitely a lot more dramatic, and um, I did get vibes of like let's get Christian Bale and Oscar, <laughs> but I mean like I was I was still invested. It was cool. Um, it's Has he not won it yet. I don't think so. He was uh, maybe, but like I could tell, he he was doing his darndest, as well as uh, Rosamund Pike. Uh, she's in it oh, as well as like a mother who loses her 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 family to uh, like some. I feel like she's bend. perfect for a period piece. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yes. 
and has she, been in several. <laughs> I think I can t- like she was definitely going for the Oscar as well because she's like at the very very beginning of the movie like a band of uh, bad Indians like attacks them and they like kill like her un like not unborn sorry her newborn baby that she's carrying like they shoot her and like her two young girls they like as they're running away so like the rest of the movie she's just like distraught and trying to deal with it. Uh, like and they pick her up while they're trying to transport this Indian. So there's the whole dynamic of like this lady lost her family to Indians, and now that she has to like travel with these ones who are like they're not bad, they're not the same, they're not all the same type thing. Um, so it's just that kind of thing. And uh, there's a uh, Ben Foster, who um, uh, he plays um uh, like a prisoner, but he was like he's one of the the soldiers that uh, on Christian Bale's side, who um. He, I, like, he went AWOL or he committed a crime. So they have to transport him as well to the jail. So there's a whole, like, uh, conflict between, like, I'm one of you guys, but you're taking me to jail. Meanwhile, like, these savages, you're, you're transporting them safely. And then, like, wait, I can't spoil it. I shouldn't spoil it. <laughs> I was <laughs> no, about to just com- say the whole end. But, like, um, it's, it's the whole arc of, like, this hardened army captain has to, like, uh, get out of his mindset of like these are the enemy and didn't does christian bale have any reason to hate indians in this movie yeah he overcomes or no yeah i mean like it's it's kind of a general like i've been fighting them for years and they've killed all my friends and like we like there's been bad stuff on either side but i've like they've they've killed my friends i've killed their friends we hate each other and it's just made clear immediately what is the level of so good examples of this would be Outlaw King and Bone Tomahawk, where it's oh. like you look at this period of time and it's just like violence is fucking violent. Yeah, <laughs> like does it have that? It's as well not as that list? violent. Like there's certain scenes where they're like fighting people and it's just like completely off screen. Like they they have to fight these guys in tents, like that are sleeping in their tents. It doesn't even show them fighting. It just shows the tents like moving and the sounds of them fighting. But then at the on the other end of the spectrum, like when the the house like the the settlers get attacked at the beginning of the movie, like the the father gets like scalped on on and it's shown, so you you get both you get both sides. It's uh it's very balanced. I mean I I enjoyed it. Uh yeah. I'm gonna put you on the spot now. Uh, do you know who directed this and or what else have they directed? I think it was Scott Cooper. I just read it like. Three minutes ago. <laughs> uh, it was... Wait, I'm still on West Studies IMDb page. <laughs> um, it was Scott Cooper. Yeah, Scott Cooper, who also did... Um, he did he did Black Mass, actually. Okay. Which Wait. I think you mentioned before, you last time you were here. Was it you? Uh, I feel that would come out of Carson. No, yeah? I, hate, I did not. Like that. <laughs> I did not like Black. I don't no, know if I've sorry, seen Black it Mass. It wasn't you. It was another what? guy. What? Oh, okay. Black Mass. It was a Johnny Depp doing white magic. <laughs> okay, say no more. <laughs> All right, I'm out. No, I'm out. It actually, it actually definitely wasn't you. I'm calling it. <laughs> um, I know who it was, and it was another guy. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's move on. Um, and now for something completely different again. Uh, I'm going to be talking about Suicide Squad: Hell to Pay which is a DC animated movie that I feel is worth talking about. Uh, <laughs> Holy shit, curveball. What the hell? So this, is, this movie stars Christian Slater as the voice actor for uh, 
Fuck, I forget his name. Whoever Will Smith played in Suicide Squad. Deadshot. Deadshot. Wait, Christian Slater. Christian <laughs> Slater. Uh, one of the reasons I want to talk about this movie is because it's a animated movie that I think not a lot of people would want to like talk about. Uh, that is... It exemplifies what I like about superhero comic books and superhero movies that I feel that a lot of superhero movies <coughs> marvel uh does <laughs> not do very coffee. well <laughs> um so he, the plot of the movie uh so the suicide squad is essentially a group of villains that a government agent or a government official amanda waller uh gets to do things for the government uh in this movie she gets there is a a card as part of this universe that um if you die with this card on you, you get a free pass to not go to hell and instead go to heaven. Uh, and I That's thought, cool. I, <laughs> I thought this was really interesting for a comic book movie because you essentially take all these bad guys, which is what the Suicide Squad is, you put them against even eviler bad guys, and you say they are fighting for a card that if you get it and you die, you all of your bad sins go away. <laughs> And you get to go to heaven. And so you have these elements of redemption of, hey, I've done bad things, but I'm sorry for them and I want to do better. You have these bad people that maybe haven't done so good and they just want to get away with doing bad things. Uh, but essentially the plot of the movie is you have a, a really, really bad guy who has ha kidnapped a surgeon to put this card into his heart in a way that if you take it away from him, he will die Smart. and therefore use up the card. And you can <laughs> only use the card once and it will send you to heaven instead of hell. Um, and you have these group of bad guys going after them, try to take the card away from them. Maybe for the government, but maybe for themselves. Is there only one card in existence? There is only one card in existence. It is a get out of hell free card. Okay. That you can only use once. So as soon as somebody uses it, it disappears. And it can never be used again. And what what's the rules of its possession? Like, what how, how does it know when I own it versus someone else? It, it's basically, if it's on your possession when you die, you get to go to hell. Okay. And does it have a backstory? Like, who made it? Or where does it come from? No, it just, it just <laughs> poof, oh, it exists. That. Look. I, <laughs> I can dig it. <laughs> it's been a while since I've seen the movie, so maybe it does. Okay. Uh, but it's but not I, really part of it. Uh, no, it's not okay. really like, it's more of like, if this exists and all these bad guys exist, how would you go about it? Right. Um, and I found that really interesting because there's a lot of superhero movies these days that they treat mysticism and superheroism as like, like this thing that you just kind of like, people are bad, people are good, people make them fight together. Uh, <laughs> and it's so boring, but like you take a concept like this and there's a lot that you can explore. And like, to be honest, the movie, it, it's animated movie for kids it doesn't really explore them the way you want them to <laughs> mm -hmm. but it's like it's a more interesting idea than i i would argue a more interesting plot than any superhero movie of the last 20 years so okay. including I, the actual suicide squad movie <laughs> suicide squad movie was i mean that's, that's setting the bar really oh, man. low it's really low why, why couldn't that be the suicide squad movie that would have been awesome. <laughs> um, on that same note, the DC Animated Universe, um, there's a director called Jay Oliva. Uh, and if you see any of the movies that he put out, I would argue that he is the good DC Animated director. <laughs> uh, all of his movies are really good, really interesting, R-rated violence usually. 
Um, really good. The, the guy who made this, his name is Sam Liu. Not as good, but I really like this one. Um, he did the original uh, Suicide Squad Escape from Arkham movie, which the Suicide, Suicide Squad live-action movie was based on. Didn't do it as good. Uh, I would recommend that movie instead. Uh, but honestly, the Suicide Squad movies in cartoons are way better than the ones that have been made <laughs> live-action. Uh, so I, I would recommend this movie for people who watch superhero movies and don't really think they're interesting at all and don't think they can really explore good concepts watch hell to pay and i think that's a good idea of what the genre could potentially accomplish although usually doesn't uh because of they need to pander to every existing audience. <laughs> is el diablo in this one he's not <laughs> <laughs> no he died <laughs> no, it's, it's the usual, and it's canon like, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's harley quinn it's okay. zoom who is the, the evil Flash version. Oh, right. Oh, cool. Yeah, so there, there's a lot of cool, like, uh, super villains. And one other thing I like is that they're totally not afraid of this being a silver movie and just <laughs> kill off whoever you want to yeah. kill off because you're not going to follow it up in a universe. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would say check it out. Do you think the existing Suicide Squad cast could pull this movie off if it was made live action? Honestly, if they had the right director, I think it would be a great movie, but they won't. <laughs> well clearly not but my head is going to uh yeah i'm trying to think of like in in terms of animated movies um what are some animated movies out there that you find are exploring some pretty heavy themes like, aside, from pixar? <laughs> aside from pixar aside from pixar yeah <clears throat> so maybe um, maybe this could be the off the beaten track or recommendation i would say like of studios so um Kubo and the Two Strings. Mm -hmm. There we go, uh, yeah. The ending, I absolutely love in terms of the message that you send to people about quote-unquote bad people. Because I hate when we make animated movies for kids and we put the world in terms of good and evil, white and black. And it's like, there, there are ways for you to look at people and understand them and like help understand why that they're doing the things that they're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think Kubo and the Two Strings is a great example of like how to look at the world. Yeah, that's one of the things that I really liked, or I thought was so fascinating when I saw um, Spirited Away the first time, which was my first Studio Ghibli movie, is it was just so different than Disney, which is very black and white. Um, I really enjoy the nuance of those films. I haven't seen any animated movies <laughs> for a while, actually. My so mind I was going to Watership Down, where it's just bunnies just bunnies like each other brutally killing yeah. each other for some reason i know that one <laughs> i've never heard of this at all really oh, damn no. okay it's we got like some, some off mic discussion to do. As well. it's like yep yeah. pocahontas style uh animation except it's bunnies like actual rabbits they're not acting any different they're acting like rabbits and they they kill each other there's like bunny war i don't know anything it's else like about a, the movie like a commentary on society so yeah interesting um, we, we'll move on though. Uh, Rebecca, you have a, a second movie for us? Uh, I do. This is another movie about, um... <laughs> it's very different from the first one. <laughs> it's it's com completely different. It's, uh, a, it's Keira Knightley in it? <laughs> no. Okay. Um, but it is about authors and a married couple. <laughs> and it's maybe a period piece. Even though, so, uh... And it's maybe about the man claiming to write a book that the woman actually writes, but, you know... Spoilers! <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, Is it a, like a, sorry, ants slash bugs life type? Like they came out around the same time? And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, they're both good. You should both see them or see them both. Um, Sorry, I'm going to let you. <laughs> no, that's, that's okay. Um, interestingly enough, uh, Christian Slater is in this film. Oh, nice. Oh, damn. hey Um But it uh, also stars Glenn Close and uh, Jonathan Price. Um, and so the movie opens, uh, and it's 1993, and you know because everyone's smoking indoors, and, uh, <laughs> uh, Jonathan Price is this big, uh, you know, major successful American author, gets a phone call, he's been, uh, selected, he's won the Nobel Prize for Literature, so him and his wife, Glenn Close, go to Sweden, I think, uh, to receive the prize, uh, and and then the movie sort of jumps back and forth in time from them being uh, at the Nobel Prize ceremony and, and getting all set up, sort of, it goes back and you see them meet uh, and she's a student and he's her married professor yeah. at like Bryn Mawr or whatever all, all women college that she went to. Um, and, and it sort of jumps back and forth and you see their relationship progress um, to this place where uh, you know, the, someone described the movie as Glenn Close smiling and nodding <laughs> a lot. Um, and, and she's, you know, it's a very subtle movie. Like Colette um, is, is more expressive and, and the wife is much quieter. It definitely, um, it, it watches the way a novel reads, um, which totally makes sense because it's based on a novel by Meg Wolitzer. Um, which is also quite good. It's it's quite a short novel, um, but it's very subtle, um, and it's kind of a smaller story, and the pacing is quite beautiful. Um, yeah. Sorry, when you say it watches in the way a novel reads, like, I think, like, because in a novel you know what everyone's thinking. Yeah. Um, but in the movie, like, how do they play that? I think part of it is the brilliance of Glenn Close. Like, she's so capable of emoting like through expression alone like even though you're not getting that internal monologue like you really see in her face um, okay. what she's feeling in these moments right i can see that yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah that was one of the, like we were talking before this episode about uh a book versus a movie and how they play things out um and i think it, it's really hard in a movie to just have someone narrate what their thoughts are in a book it works a little bit better um but when you have somebody who can say visually uh what they're feeling rather than saying it out loud it works so much better yeah so is that kind of like the strength of this movie i think it is um and i think part of the way that it works is um these two characters glenn close and jonathan price are complete opposites she's uh quiet and and subtle and thoughtful where he is um arrogant and bombastic and um you know, but she also has this strength to her. And at one point in the movie, she says, like, I don't want to be thought of as the long-suffering wife. You know, he's this successful author and she's the homemaker. So everyone thinks, right? And um, she says, like, don't thank me in your speech because I don't want to be... I don't want people to just think that I'm, like, your little wife. Like, I'm my own person and I've chosen this life for myself. And there's dignity in that. And... Um, it's subtle, so it's not. It's harder to, uh, to to get at because it is quieter. Yeah. What one thing that I, because um, I'd watch these movies alongside you, kind of back to back. I think Colette was first, and then yeah, within about a week of each other, yeah. we saw them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and what this one had going, uh, for kind of like the step above Colette was, 
Colette, like, from the first drum beat, you kind of know what it's going to be about, and it's kind of like a, a beeline to, like, her empowerment and, and, uh, um... Right. The like, other guy wearing a fat suit. Like, it's just, like, <laughs> just one yeah. line going up and the other line going down. Yeah, she gets um, to cut her hair and he gets to gain a lot of weight. Yeah, and become <laughs> impotent. Yeah. Uh, Dominic West, there we go. Literally. Uh, <laughs> uh, but this one was, you know, the whole time she's kind of, yeah, maintaining this, um, this kind of, I, this was the life I chose for myself. And right. like, I, I, you know, I did kind of want to create but also you know i'm not a limelight sort of person yeah and so you have to like say you know who who's in the wrong who's in the right it, i don't know well and and the great thing i think about this movie and call it as well is that you see that it's not like it's not black and white like both even if you know with colette for example like dominic west is exploiting Kira knightley and she doesn't have rights in that period, right? Um, but they are still getting things from each other. And you are clear on that. Like what she's getting out of the relationship as well. And she does have agency. And mm -hmm. it's the same thing with Glenn Close and Jonathan Price. So you had mentioned with Colette that you like period pieces and that it was good at that one. You also mentioned this movie was shot like or was set in the early 90s. Yeah. We grew up in the early 90s. We did. <laughs> Would you consider this a period piece? And does it capture that type of period capturing the area as well that contributes in the same way that Colette does or no? Um, I would say because um, only half this movie takes place in the night in the early 90s. Mm. And then the other half is like, um, I think when they first meet, it's like the mid 50s and then 60s and 70s. So because it is bouncing back further in time. I would say it's a period piece. Just the 90s part itself, like, isn't quite enough. It's kind of like watching movies that were just made in the 90s. <laughs> um, yeah, it doesn't have quite the same period effect, I would say. Or, or nostalgia for me, anyways. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Tyler, how about your uh, second movie here? All right, we, we've been doing a lot of uh, a now for something completely different. And <laughs> I think this is another now for something completely Keep different. Keep it going. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it going. Because uh, I'm going to talk about Death of Stalin. Nice. Uh, and this time around, I'm like, okay, I really got to nail the synopsis because I didn't do that great of a job last time. Uh, but the synopsis is literally, Stalin dies. <laughs> so Stalin dies and there's a big power vacuum because he's created a system where he is on top and everyone that could possibly challenge him is you know sent away or killed um so it's him uh as well as steve buscemi playing khrushchev um <laughs> you've got jeffrey tambor playing kind of the hapless puppet uh, malenkov who completely steals the show you're yeah and uh the kgb head beria who is you know trying to subtly manipulate everyone behind the scenes and they're each of them, you know, they're all grasping at power. They're doing so in very different ways. Um, and part of the the dark humor that comes from this is just seeing all of this finagling, seeing all of this... Yes, nice. <laughs> uh, seeing all of this power play. And the comedy just kind of springs from that. Um, both of these movies, like Eighth Grade and Death of Stalin, were both sitting as comedies but at very far ends of the spectrum where eighth grade is all situational and kind of you know muted um death of stalin is all 
incredibly dark and very goofy. <laughs> I was More definitely my type of humor. <laughs> yes. That's what I was going to ask next, like what genre-wise, what Death of Stalin would fall under. But um, Yeah, so comedy through and through. This was a, a directorial piece by uh, Armando Iannucci, probably best known, at least in North America, for Veep. Uh, he's... Uh, also a movie in the loop, which is really good, but yes. more British. Yeah, uh, a lot of his other stuff, like uh, he did a lot of stuff with Alan Partridge on the BBC and the Alan Partridge movie, which came out just a few years ago, I think. So probably very well known in the UK, but here probably best known for Veep. And and the, I would say Death of Stalin plays a lot to that as well. It's kind of a political comedy that's... Um, that's got a lot of goof to it. <laughs> one of, so I saw this at TIFF a couple of years ago. Uh, and one of my biggest issues was I saw the trailer. I was super stoked. And then all the best jokes were in the trailer. <laughs> uh, and then I loved them. Like, I was a little disappointed because all the best trailer or all the best jokes were spoiled. I hate that. But yeah. then even now, like when I think about comedies and political comedies, like, I just think, why can't you be a little bit more like Death of Stalin? Like, it's so smart and it's so subtle and it's humor and it's just really good. Yeah, and, and I think maybe that's one thing that uh, makes this a pick for maybe underrated or, or not not widely released sort of movie is um, there's definitely a lot of wit to it. Like, anything that's going to play with politics and humor is going to have a writing style that lends itself to, yeah, being pretty witty. And it's um, very dialogue driven. Like the yes, humor is, yes. it doesn't set up a big joke and then wait for you to apply. It's <laughs> like it makes a joke and then it very quickly goes on to the next joke and then the next joke and it's like it's just firing off the hits. Like it's really good. And sometimes it's it's just like a an askance look from one person to another, <laughs> or or like a funeral procession where people are trying to like you know butt to be first in line for something. Like it's. A lot of it is just kind of like a weird kind of muted pratfall. One thing I was really surprised on, because you leave a movie like that and you start looking up the history, and it's like a lot of it was based on I was going to bring that up. It was, yeah, I did the exact same thing right after. I, I needed to know, like, okay. Like, like was this, this is, real? This is complete <laughs> embellishment. And the more I dug into it, the more I found out, no. <laughs> no I, Obviously, I, uh, they play out the scenarios to be a bit more comedic, but, like, all those events happen. Yeah. Well, it's probably with them, like, reading what actually happened. They're like, this could be really funny. So then they played it that way. Well, and that's the thing about Russian history, especially sort of recent Russian history, is it is so bananas like ridiculous. it's ridiculous <laughs> it's completely absurd a lot of the stuff that happens and it really lends itself to you know film or, or i think it's based on a graphic novel originally um oh it is yeah i've seen it in a store yeah i didn't read it but i saw it <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that that was my two ends of the comedy spectrum but yeah. i'm sold Nice. It's, it's so I, got, I got one buy-in. I got some okays from uh, eighth grade, but <laughs> a solid buy-in This is buy the only other one. movie that somebody else here is talking about that I've actually seen. Uh, huge recommend for me as well. Like, I, I love this movie. Can you compare it to anything? Like, There's not a lot of political comedies. In the loop, because it's from the same director, I would say. Yeah. Um, I Maybe I'm just thinking of this because it stars Jeffrey Tambor, but it's got kind of a, an Arrested Development sort of feel, too. It does, yeah. Um, not, I, I would say almost as zany. 
Like, Arrested Development just goes off the rails sometimes and is completely zany, but this <laughs> is also goes off the rails pretty too. zany. <laughs> um, yeah, so both of those, if... if uh, I would say okay. if you like Arrested Development, you'll like this movie, yeah. yeah. I would say if you also like Jason Isaacs, you will like this movie. Jason <laughs> Isaacs yes! is in it? He's a How could fucking legend in this movie. <laughs> just takes off the coat and the medals just fly. <laughs> it's so uh, good. It's got everything, yeah. Yeah. He was Lucius Malfoy, right? He sure was. Okay. He's also Captain Lorca in the newest Star Trek oh, TV series. I haven't seen it, but I Captain know. Captain Bad yeah. Daddy. Oh, it's fucking great. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, Paula, how about your second movie? Um, I picked Gringo for I don't know why. Um, <laughs> but uh, it was, yeah, it was really weird even for me. But um, so it's about this guy who's def- like really pathetic kind of he's like it's a true (laughs) underdog type thing where he like he works for a big company he was hired by his friend and like just everything like there's just it's it's almost uncomfortable like his wife is clearly cheating on him his his best friend is about to sell the company and he's going to be out of a job but he's just like he's just like kind of oblivious and uh through some weird turn of events he goes to mexico uh on like some work trip and um he, he tries to, like, orchestrate his own pretend kidnapping so he can, like, finally make some money off all of his uh, misfortune. Um, and the guy is... it's It was really... I think my, my main attraction to the movie was that the main guy, the main guy, the... is played by David Oyelowo. Oyelowo? Whoa, I was way off. But the funny thing is, the last time I saw him in a movie, he was playing... Martin Luther King, Luther King. <laughs> and then so from there to seeing him this where he's like oh my god uh just the full like uh accent and he's just like just so like it's it's almost un- like I said before he's like it's almost uncomfortable how how just uh, path- pathetic he is um so oh here you go <laughs> oh a true yeah, champ. Open a beer. Bottle <laughs> opener. Open up beer. Um, yeah, and uh, it uh, it stars um, also uh, Charlize Theron is in it, and um, Joel Edgerton. Joel Edgerton. Uh, they're like his bosses who are like sleeping together, uh, but also like about to put him out of a job because he's gonna sell the company. And then it has all this like it's very random. There's like like elements of like they're trying to do some drug deal in Mexico and. Uh, Amanda Seyfried is in it, and she's also in Mexico. I, I kind of got lost a little bit. <laughs> let me be... Oh, hold on. Before I continue, let me be clear. The movie is not, like, that good. <laughs> I, <laughs> I know, it's okay. No, like, I enjoyed it. Like, as a movie, though, like, technically as a movie, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's fine. Yeah. No. Wait. <laughs> I'm getting like Mike... a ringing endorsement. It's fine. <laughs> like Mike Judge's extract. If anyone no. had seen that, no, one. is it that? Kinda... What? No, I don't know. Have it's you? Enjoyable. It's like, no. It... <laughs> it is a pleasant two hours. For like, it's extract a watch. Extract is okay. It no, like for Gring, Gringo not... is a watch. I enjoyed watching it because, uh, like, it's it's just like the uh, the underdog thing. And then he ends up like getting getting his at the end, and it's like it's pleasant. It's nice. Um, what happens in between is like kind of a, like a jumble. <laughs> um, and it, but it is very random and you're not going to be able to predict what happens, which is what I liked about it. Like it's not, 
it's not the typical movie. It goes in a few different directions, which are maybe make it could be confusing a little bit, but it's just I don't think it's anything that I've seen before, which is one of the reasons why I liked it. And I I don't want to say I related to, <laughs> to the to the guy because he's re- like it's pretty bad. Um, like how I don't want to keep saying pathetic. Yeah, one thing I showed out is uh, Joel Edgerton and Charlize Theron. Like those are a couple of side characters, but like. They nail those characters, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's really important. Like, you need those characters to really perform well for that story to be good. And they, because you cast really good actors and actresses in it, like it yeah. makes the the movie because of those strong supporting characters. It's not just like they they're bad and you hate them. It's like they're like they, of course you're bad. They're bad and you don't like them, but like they're actually characters on yeah. top of that. They're really funny. And yeah, I don't know if I'm remembering the Ron movie, but Charlotte Copley? Charlotte Copley's yeah, in it. I fucking love Charlotte Copley. <laughs> in he anything that he's in. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he, like, he's just, like, the, the smallest of side characters, but, like, he does, he makes the most of his screen time, which I like. Um, it's, uh, I'll just mention the director because I looked it up <laughs> also, <laughs> like, within the last 15 minutes. Yeah. But I, it, I, I could be wrong, but I think it's Joel Edgerton's brother or someone that's related Nash to him. Edgerton? Nash Edgerton. Yeah, it's his brother. Okay, it's his brother. Um, I'm not sure why he would cast his brother in the role that he did because it makes him look like an asshole. He does a good job. He does a great job. So maybe he's just a genius. Um, but it was it was an entertaining watch. I enjoyed it. Um, if you want to see Martin Luther King just be a bumbling, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, that's uh, definitely, I, I recommend Nash Edgerton is actually more of a stunt uh, director. Uh, he does more of like the stunt performers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's done a couple good directing performances and pretty good director as well. So. There you go. I didn't know any of those things. But <laughs> hey, um, directing your brother. That, that's an interesting <laughs> enterprise. Joel Edgerton also consistently directs himself. So what? his brother directing. <laughs> Both movies that Joel Edgerton has directed has had himself as a side character. The Gift and Boy Erased. Oh. What about The oh, Thing? Shit. Did he direct that too? No. <laughs> that was John Carpenter. No, no, the, the, the new no, thing. The, the, the remake. Uh, the remake. Uh, okay. No, Joel Edgerton is actually a pretty good director, he, I would say. He's a good actor too. Yeah. <laughs> that Owen Lars. Oh my <laughs> god! <laughs> Look at him now. <laughs> I Oh my god, it's I like can't... Look at how far he's come. Uh, I mean, from dying uh, in Star Wars to... Uh, <laughs> he didn't die. He died. Skeleton. Oh, no. No, he did. He's Owen Lars. But then he died later. Not he d- in Joel a new Edgerton. Hope. <laughs> oh, whatever. Uh, Owen Lars died. Okay, I got gonna, it. I'm picking you. up what you're putting down. <laughs> I'm going to move on. Uh, second movie I want to talk about is An Evening with Beverly Laughlin. Um, I'm basically going to summarize this, summary, or summarize this movie <laughs> in a statement. If you like Napoleon Dynamite, you will like this movie. If you don't, you will not like this movie. Um, Sold. Yep. It's very much like it it became a danger early on of being weird for the sake of weird. Um, This movie stars Aubrey Plaza, Jermaine Clement. Sold. Sold, sold, sold. Craig Robinson? Craig Robinson? Craig Robinson. Big black guy. Yes. Sold. From The Office. Triple sold. Oh, I saw the trailer for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the one now. No, no. It's like, if I recommend this movie to somebody and they come back to me and say, I absolutely hated this movie, I would be like, 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know what kind of person you are. <laughs> but it, no, more no like, I wouldn't even judge them. But it's like, it's very much on that border of weird for the sake of weird, which I can totally see other people and even myself saying, I hate it just based on principle. <laughs> but for whatever reason, it just works for me and I enjoyed it. And I think that's honestly because Aubrey Plaza and Jermaine Clement just are really good in those type of roles. It's Jermaine. Jermaine. <laughs> um, but they, they nail it. Um, it's, it nails the awkward type of humor that I think is really good. Um, the basic premise of the movie is that Aubrey Plaza just gets separated from her husband uh, because Craig Robinson is playing a mysterious type celebrity who is coming into town. Uh, and she wants to go to his show to connect with him again. And meanwhile, Jermaine Clement is like a random person coming in who has fallen in love with her. And they're just at a hotel and everything is super awkward. Uh, like, for example, Aubrey Plaza's husband, uh, he owns a coffee shop. And the two other guys, one guy just has his hair all waxed up and weird. And the other guy is like kind of a chubby guy who is awkward. And it's like everyone has a thing that makes them awkward. <laughs> and honestly, like, if some like, again, if somebody says they hate this movie just based on principle, I'd be like, cool, that's fine, I get it. But it's like it really rides that line of it has enough of like because it's not weird for the sake of weird. It has a story that it's following, and all the characters just happen to be a little weird. Um, Emil Hirsch plays one of the characters. Oh my god, uh, Arvid Plaza's <laughs> ex-husband. Uh, Craig Robinson does a phenomenal job as Beverly Laughlin. Uh, if you watch the trailer, you will 100% understand whether you love it. <laughs> um, I really loved it. It's that type of awkward humor. It just it connected with me, uh, and I would highly recommend it. I think Aubrey Plaza is the funniest, what, what, like top three funniest women. But like specifically in that type of humor, and you combine her with Jermaine Clement. Yeah, no, no, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Both of them nail that humor, and it's so weird because Jermaine Clement is like hitting on and trying like the love interest of Aubrey Plaza, but they have, their characters have zero chemistry. So that's exactly why it's interesting And to it watch. works. Yeah. He's like a male Aubrey Plaza. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Is this the same director as Napoleon Dynamite? No. Uh, <laughs> I want to say somebody who's very much in that same style. I don't know who the director is, but again, like if you like Napoleon Dynamite, you will like it. If you don't, you won't. Wait, what's I it called again? Looking um, it up on IMDb. An, an evening with Beverly Laughlin. Okay. The, the oh. The trailer okay. does a very good job of telling you what type of movie it's going to be. So watch the trailer if you like it. Go watch the movie for sure. Um, Aubrey Plaza was in one not so long ago. I think like a 2017 release that I. Did not see in theaters at all or any trailers of any sort for it, uh, but just caught it in Netflix, um, The Little Hours, which is a weird... <laughs> she starts laughing. Um, it's like a... Almost like a costume drama with Audrey Plaza playing a... A nun. An anarchist nun. A yeah, there we go. Nun. Yeah. Um, I tried to... I tried to watch oh. that on Netflix, but it didn't really fly because my girlfriend was in the room. <laughs> <laughs> it's It's got a very kind of, yeah, it's probably in the same vein of like, um, it knows what it is kind of going in and it's just kind of very strange. It's based of. on like, I think a book or like some like Shakespearean, so. not Shakespeare, but like something along those lines, something like that. Yeah, it, For some reason I'm, now I'm just interested in watching this. Watch yeah. it. Uh, because 
an evening with Beverly Loughlin, Aubrey Plaza was great. Um, the movie we mentioned earlier, uh, Angry Goes West, mm, mm-hmm. also really like mm-hmm. she's just she knows her style and she's hitting it with and she's good at it. Yeah. Even though she's in like Mike and Dave need wedding dates as well, <laughs> like. <laughs> You gotta make your money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Make your money so you can do these things. <laughs> yeah. I'd also recommend one of the directors, or maybe a casting director of, um, not The Office, but Parks and Rec, mm. um, described the the casting of Aubrey Plaza and what that was like. Um, go watch that on YouTube because it's 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 hilarious. Just him talking about the, the process of like. She walked in and was her character from the first beat, and he's like, "We need to write this person into." This. She just like yeah. verbally perfect casting to have Aubrey Plaza and Chris Pratt together, and they just like discover greatness. Together. Yeah, it's amazing. Did she just come in and verbally assault him? Like, <laughs> well, yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what happened. And he yeah. was like, "So this is the weirdest person I've ever met," <laughs> and she just stared at me and said nothing and made me feel so weird. <laughs> we need to cast her. <laughs> Uh, so we've each done our two movies that we're going to talk about. Is there any movies you guys want to talk about before we move on to our next segment? Ant-Man and the Wasp! <laughs> <laughs> or as I call Ant-Man and the whatever. Hey, shut up, you. <laughs> hey, Paul Rudd pretending to be Michelle Pfeiffer is, like, hilarious. Wait, have you seen it? No, I, but I'm down Okay, I want to do a callback to when we were on last and we were discussing the last Avengers movie and you're like, it would be so cool if in Ant-Man and the Wasp the bad guys just vanished. Did the bad guys just vanish? Did that happen? No. No. Oh. <laughs> they, missed... huh? they haven't seen it. <laughs> okay, okay. I don't care. I Wait, if no, but if you guys I, I haven't, haven't seen, seen Ant-Man. Oh my god! I haven't god. seen the first one yet. I... Shut up! Ant Man is Ant Man is actually my favorite. Like I do like Paul Rudd, and I'll maybe see it eventually, I guess. But Paul I really Rudd don't is... give a fuck. I enjoy <laughs> Paul Rudd. I don't know if I enjoy the movies. Mm-hmm. It's so good. It's not like it's Paul Rudd the Marvel movie. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you know fine. That's fine. Fine. I'll fine. see it. I love you, man. The Marvel movie. <laughs> <laughs> No, but like, so I'm not even going to go into more detail about Paul Rudd as Michelle Pfeiffer, but okay. it's so... I'm it intrigued. Was, You've said enough. It's like almost <laughs> uncomfortable, but it's like a good five minutes of... <laughs> it's funny. You it should watch it. very Paul Rudd focused. Yeah. I think it's its best elements. Right. <laughs> they know what they have and they use it well. And But then what? at the same time, it's a Marvel movie, so you know what you're getting. What they have is Paul Rudd. Yeah. <laughs> and Michael Pena. Oh, Michael Pena, too, yeah. And uh, um, Morpheus. Oh. <laughs> He's yeah. in it. Lawrence also Fishburne. Lawrence. Yeah. Huh. It's uh, good. Any other movies you guys want to talk about? I'm... The, the yeah. only thing I will add to this is definitely go see a movie called Thoroughbreds. Uh, I don't have much to say about it, which is why I didn't pick it, other than it's really fucking good. I was... Olivia Cook is amazing. Uh, but just go see it. And Anton Yelchin, because he's great. Oh, oh, rest in peace. Yeah, the best. Which was, okay, the only, like, one of the things I wanted to mention about this movie is, like, I went in not knowing Anton Yelchin was part of it. <laughs> he had been dead for two years by the time the movie was released. Yeah. And then I go to the theater and see this movie, and El- Anton Yelchin shows up, and I was like, fuck? <laughs> uh, but no, he's It's a great. Tupac it's, thing. It's one of his better performances. Like, it's great. You mentioned this one before. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Also, A Quiet Place. Which I know Carson <laughs> would probably make, oh, make fun of me for. <laughs> it was a good movie. Shut up. Going back and realizing 
Um, I did enjoy, like, the experience of The Quiet Place, but I went back and I saw, like, all of the other movies that came out around the same time that The Quiet Place did, and it just smothered them all. And you go and you see, like, mm. oh, shit, this was a really great movie, that was a really great movie, that was a really great movie. And, and all anyone was talking about was A Quiet Place. So it has a... I loved watching it, but at the same time, I wish it, it didn't kind of smother all those other great, <laughs> yeah. great yeah, honestly, movies. Like, I don't think it's terrible, uh, but there were certain scenes that were in the trailer that I'm like, that would be such a good scene, and it just wasn't in the movie. And it was just what? Like, eh, it's a little overrated, and I hate movies that are overrated, so I hate it, but <laughs> it's not honestly that bad of a movie. It's fine. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Again, a cone of isolation on this side of the room. No, I, I'll be with well, you. I'll be I with still you haven't with seen that. it, so I don't that's know. right. I think you would like it. I, well, you've seen it. Yeah, I any, think you any would like movie it. that's willing and, to push certain certain aspects of the craft in in a direction where they generally haven't gone in a while. In this case, it was you know the use of sound for yeah creating like kind of. A, a type of tension like it was sorry la, really <laughs> yeah, last one like... really quick the the last point that i'm gonna say is on the, what you said about the sound like it it got to the point where like anything you heard could have been scary like you were it was i, was, I felt like really tense john krasinski could have farted and i would have just jumped <laughs> right out of my seat yeah. yeah and also he's adorable <laughs> oh shit yeah he's always looking in the camera <laughs> when the monsters are around okay sorry that's all right. 